true writer of this book is God the Holy Spirit. Obadiah. Shortest book in the Old Testament. It consists of only 21 verses. But we will see today that there's a lot packed into these 21 verses. Let's read verse 1. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Now notice in verse 1 who's speaking. It's the Lord God speaking. It's the Lord Adonai. The Hebrew word for Lord there is Adonai. It's the Lord Adonai. And this name points to his supreme power and his authority. He has all power and all authority. And this word was often combined with a divine name to reinforce reinforce the notion of God's matchlessness. Nothing can compare to our God. And that's why this word used with Yahweh, so it's Adonai Yahweh, the second name for God there is Yahweh, which means he who is or is present. He who causes to be all that is. What a picture we have of our Lord then. What a picture we have of our great God. He's all-powerful. By him all things consist, whether they be invisible or visible, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth. He's all-power, all-powerful. He's Adonai Yahweh. He's the mighty one. That's who our God is. He says supreme power and authority in a matchless sense, too. That's what's being brought forth here. He has supreme authority and power in a matchless sense. You cannot compare his power and his authority with anything. Doesn't sound like the God of religion nowadays, does it? That's because the God of religion's a lie. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God who saved me. Did he save you? This is the God who keeps us if you're saved. The one who has all power in a matchless way, all ability in a matchless way. He is supreme over all. Again, this is the God of the Bible. And we see from these two names that he is all-powerful and ever-present as well. What a comfort that is for we who are God's people to know that no matter how many times we fail and fall, which we do continuously, he's ever-present with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He won't say, well, I've had enough of you, Wayne. Isn't that wonderful? You put your name in there too. He'll never say that. He'll never say, well, I've had enough of your, your sinfulness. You're, you're, just, you're just a lost cause. No. Christ redeemed his people. And he keeps his people. And it's wondrous. It's absolutely wondrous. The one who has all power, all might, in a matchless way, is the one who saved us. God incarnate in the flesh. So what a comfort that can be for every born-again, blood-washed saint. Does it bring you comfort? Oh, it comforts my soul. Comforts my soul to know that this is the keeper of my soul. This is the one who left the glories of heaven to save my soul. Adonai Yahweh. 
The theme of this book is the condemnation of Edom. And we need to know something about the history of this ancient kingdom. Edom, in the Bible, is also known as Seir, Hor, or Esau. And Edom was a naturally fortified country. It was surrounded by red sandstone cliffs more than 5,000 feet above sea level. It was a very formidable place. And the city was entered through a narrow winding canyon called a Sig, which was about 15 feet wide. Kind of like the, the valley that the uh, Persians tried to get through when the Spartans held the pass. Very similar. And they, they say it was easily defensible from just a dozen men to a formidable army. It could hold back an enemy because of that, those, those sheer cliffs and then that, that small winding canyon. It wasn't a straight canyon. It was a winding canyon. And look at what the people say in verse 3. They're very proud. They're very proud. Look at Obadiah verses 1, or verses 2 and 3. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Look at this, though, in verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, and saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? See, they, they were full of pride. And because of their fortifications, and they lived, they lived in, the, in the cliffs. They cut out homes in the cliffs. And in their pride, they said, Who will bring us down? Sounds like a lot like natural man, doesn't it? That's the picture here. This is a picture of natural man. Who will bring me down? Exalted in pride and self-righteousness. And we see clearly here the sin of pride brought forth before us in these verses. These are our people full of pride. And the fall of Edom was to be God's judgment on it because of the offensive sin of pride. God's judgment fell upon them. And we'll see it. We'll see it here. And note the pride in their hearts had deceived them. Look at verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Well, that's true of all natural men, isn't it? Before the Lord saved me, I was deceived by the pride of my heart. Was it so for you? We were blinded. And it says, Thou dwellest in the clefts of the rock. Oh, they're, they're comfortable and feel like, Oh, we're fine. We're fine. How many people have you talked to that say, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, they're fine in their refuge of lies, aren't they? But that's going to come crumbling down one day. It's going to come crumbling down one day. So this pride has deceived them. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. The Lord condemns the pride, condemns the sin of pride in the scriptures. And we're going to see here in Psalm 16, verses 16 to 19, that the Lord hates pride. Hates pride. It's first and foremost is a proud look. He hates a proud look. 
Look at Proverbs 16, verses 16 to 19. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better is it to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Look at that. Pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And pride, pride is a, some commentators have said is the sin of sins. I think all sin is sin, but pride is, pride's a rough one. And even we who are saved struggle with our pride, don't we? We sure do. We sure do. What does the root of pride say, though? The root of pride says I can do things without God. I'm my own man. And we see it all around us. Now think about the world we live in. It proclaims with its actions and its words, no God. I've been listening to all this stuff about the vaccine and all that, which I'm so thankful they're, they're making a vaccine. I sure am. It's wonderful. But if you notice when you watch the news, and it doesn't matter which channel you watch, there's no mention of God giving those men wisdom and those ladies wisdom to find that vaccine. Now, we believe that, don't we? We believe that it's God who's given them the ability to do that. And it's wonderful. We praise God for it. We give them all the glory for it. But if you notice, the world has no care for God, no mention of him, no mention of anything he can do. And you know what? I like Donnie Bell. I was talking to Donnie Bell last couple of weeks, and Donnie mentioned that. He said, uh, when this virus has accomplished that which God wills for it, then it will be gone. And that's true. That's true. But God has given these people knowledge now to be able to figure out how to maybe vaccinate us against it. What a blessing. We need to count that as a blessing from God. Because it is. It's, he's the one who sent this virus, right? And when the time's done, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. My, oh, my. But think about the world we live in. It proclaims no God. It proclaims do it by your own strength or by your intellect. Natural man is vaulted up with pride. And we as believers have to fight against that too, don't we? We have to fight against pride. I never forget what John Claude told me out west. And when I, when I came here, he said, always remember that Christ gets the preeminence. Always remember that. He gets it all. He gets all the glory. He's the preeminent one. And that was wonderful advice. Because it's so true. We can get puffed up by our own pride. Oh, we can. And we as believers struggle with pride if we're honest with ourselves. But why do men get offended when you tell them they're sinners? Why do men get offended about that? Because it offends the pride. It offends their pride. It bruises their pride. Think about modern religion. It's, it's so full of pride. 
with its claim of free will and the denial of God's absolute sovereignty. They deny God's absolute sovereignty. Well, that's nothing but pride. That's what that is. The root of that is pride, the pride of man. It's the pride of man on full display. The true believer proclaims with Paul that we can do nothing in ourselves. Paul wrote these words. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. There's the key. Through Christ. Through him, beloved. The only reason we have our being and move and live in this world is because of our king. And he even gives breath to the unsaved. He's the giver of all life. And there's the key. We mentioned that in the last few sermons. I've mentioned it where in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's the key. That's the theme all through this word. The types and shadow in the Old Testament, they point right to Christ. In the New Testament, mark it out. If you, if you have a computer program, type the words in Christ and the exact, and see how many times that's mentioned in the scripture. It's incredible. In Christ, that's the key. Are you in Christ by God's grace? That's the key. The key is Christ. He's our strength, isn't he? He's our redeemer. He's the keeper of our souls. He's, he's our Sabbath, isn't he? You know what Sabbath means? He's our rest. I was talking to a brother in Oregon this week. Dear, dear friend. And as I was talking to him, he was, he was talking about just different things and putting so much pressure on himself. And, and he believes the gospel like we do. And I said, brother, it's, it's finished. It's not about your performance. He come from a very Armenian background where it was a lot of dues. And he's still got some grave clothes, beloved. And I have, I have, those gra- I have grave clothes fall off here and there too. We all do. <laughs> I said, it's, it's done, brother. Now we rest in Christ. Boy, by the end of the phone call, we were both about shouting hallelujah. It was wonderful. Because that's the truth. He's, he is our Sabbath, isn't he? He's our rest. See, religion tells you everything you've got to do. And grace tells you what's done. Christ did it all. He did it all. He's our Lord. He's our God. And he's the one who's speaking in this book. The Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty, the God the Son, who became a man. He came here. Why? And bring this home, if you're one of his, to save you from your sins, to save me from my sins. He did that for us, willingly, as we saw last week. Willingly. He was a submissive servant to Jehovah. And how did he do that? How did he save us from our sins? By the shedding of his precious blood, he gave his life for us. He did it on purpose. He did it willingly. Oh, how that should make our hearts rejoice. Therefore, we have nothing in ourselves to boast in, do we? Do we have anything to boast in? Christ, that's all, right? Just Christ. 
Nothing to boast in in ourselves. We boast about his wonderful sin atoning work. What was his words? It's finished. It's over. He won the victory. It's incredible. Now we just rest. Now we just we serve him and we rest, don't we? We rest in that blessed truth. The work's finished. And and that truth is all through this this word, isn't it? It's all through the Bible. Types and pictures and shadows. And then in the New Testament, we have we don't have the shadow anymore, do we? We have the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. My, oh my. Now note and keep in mind through this study that we see the Lord's distinguishing grace to his people and his hatred to his enemies. And this truth is marked in every page all through the whole scripture. All through the Bible. What the Lord saith by the servant Malachi may and ought to be the contents of the word of God upon all these occasions. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. My. Turn if you would to Malachi chapter 1. We'll read that section. Oh, God will avenge his people. Here avenge his people and here, here keep his people. Here keep his people. And here vanquish the enemies of his people and here vanquish his own enemies. And our enemies are his enemies and his enemies are our enemies. <laughs> my, oh my. But we don't have to do anything. We just stand back and watch, watch what the Lord does, don't we? We've seen his mighty hand at work. We've seen how he deals with situations. It's incredible. This is Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. I have loved you, saith the Lord. That's Jehovah. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Look at that. Well, another name for Edom is Esau in the scriptures too. For the nation of Edom. Whereas, look at this, here it is. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. Look at that. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Oh my. And your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. So now we've seen what he said about Edom there in verse 4. Let's go back to Obadiah knowing, knowing that this is a we will see the destruction of Edom. And remember, this is a picture of natural man outside of Christ. Let's read verses 3 to 9 of Obadiah, and we see that Edom will be humbled. And how will they be humbled? Well, by Adonai Yahweh. By him and him alone. 
I ask you who are the people of God, did he not humble us when he saved us? Were we not brought low into the dust? Oh, we were, weren't we? I like what Brother Scott Richardson said, the believer makes his headquarters in the dust at the feet of our great God. My. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was eating dust for a while. And when the Lord returned him back to his right mind, he said, God is God. He rules over all. Look at this in Obadiah, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, and saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Isn't that, you, you could just hear natural man there. I hear myself before the Lord saved me, right there. My. Though thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Remember they had their homes in the cliffs? If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are these things of Esau searched out? Again, that's Edom too. How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty man, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Now the descendants of Esau were the Edomites, and they flourished greatly in temporal things. They were very wealthy. And the dukes of Edom are spoken of in Genesis 36, 15 to 19, and they had, they had high titles. They had high titles. They were well-known among natural men, well-spoken of. And they were natural men, and they sought the things of the world. Look at the end of verse 9. The mighty men of Edom are cut off. Here we see the distinguishing grace of God. Why are we not cut off? We who are God's people. If this is a picture of natural man, why are we not cut off? Who are God's people? Only because of the grace and mercy of God. That's the only thing that made us differ. Let us never forget that. That's the only thing that made us to differ. Edom's cut off. So here we see the distinguishing grace of God. They perish in their sins. And Jacob is safe. My, oh my. God destroys the wise men out of Edom. In the understanding out of the Mount of Esau, they are dismayed and bought to their end. Cut off by slaughter. 
You've heard me say many times that God will avenge his people. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of other believers. And it's a very sobering thing to witness. My, oh, my. Why did this destruction here come upon Edom? Well, we know from their pride, but let's read verses 10 to 15 as well. Did you know that Edom committed violence against Jacob? Against Israel? Against the Israel of God? Look at this. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Remember, Israel were sons of Jacob, and the Edomites were sons of Esau, part of the dukes of the Edomites. In that day that thou stoodest on the other side, in that day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. They joined in with those who plundered Jerusalem. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. So they rejoiced with the enemies of God at the destruction of the children of Judah. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Imagine them saying, look what we've done. We got him. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity. Neither have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossways to cut off those of his that did escape. They were even hunted down the ones that were trying to escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So the Edomites we see here, they rejoiced when Israel was attacked, when Jerusalem was attacked, when it was plundered. They rejoiced. They should not have gloated about this. They should not have spoken proudly. They should not have helped to loot the city or cut off the fleeing Jews as they sought to escape. They should not have handed them over to the enemy among those who remained. And the picture drawn here is one of an utterly cold and heartless lack of restraint in Edom's cruel treatment of the people of God. Edom was completely without mercy. You know how we'd be treated if it wasn't for the restraining grace of God? Just read Fox's book of Christian Martyrs. Make sure you got a box of Kleenexes with you. My. My, oh my. It wasn't for the restraining grace of God. Here we see utterly cold and heartless lack of constraint again. Edom was again completely without mercy, showing not one shred of compassion to their brother Jacob. 
Perhaps this betrayed family relationship was one reason why their doom was so final. They proved themselves time and time and time again to be an enemy of God. They proved themselves to be an enemy of God's people. Look at verse 15. That true spot forth says, As thou hast done, so shall it be done to thee. My. Let's read verses 15 and 16 together. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done it. It shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return unto thine own head. Oh my. Remember, we who are God's people, we don't get what we deserve. Here we see people getting what they deserve. If we got what we deserved, every one of us would be in hell, right? But by the grace and mercy of God, we don't get what we deserve. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. Edom here went against their own brother, Judah. And it was God's purpose to exhibit what an example of God's severity against his enemies is. Well, he spares his blood-bought people, those outside of Christ perish. And perish according to God's justice and law. And our Lord, he's long-suffering with this world, isn't he? Is he long-suffering with us too, isn't he? I know he's long-suffering with me. Oh, he is. He's so merciful. He's long-suffering. But when the last sheep of the eternal covenant is saved, it's all over. It's all over then. The day of judgment will come and the Lord will repay those who are his enemies. Matthew says this, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now when it says there in Matthew thirteen forty three, when it says, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Remember, that's only by the grace and mercy of God because we are clothed in the spotless righteousness of Christ. It's wonderful. That's the only reason we're going to shine forth is because of the righteousness of Christ. Now, if we stop there, my, that's pretty humbling, isn't it, what we just read. But praise God for verse 17. Verse 17 in, this, in the rest of this chapter. Look at this. Let's read verse 17 and 18 together. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. 
And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken. Now look at verse 17. Look at verse 17, beloved. Note here, it shows deliverance. Well, who is the deliverance for? Mount Zion. That's we who are the people of God, beloved. Look what it says again. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. It doesn't say, well, it might be. Here's another one of those hinge words, right? Big doors swing on little hinges. He shall, shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. We got three promises here, beloved. Three wonderful promises of God right here before us. And Mount Zion's the true church. All those whom the Lord hath chosen of the midst of prideful sinners. All those who Christ has redeemed with his precious, precious blood on Calvary's cross. All those who were justified when Christ rose from the dead. We have deliverance, beloved. It's wonderful. What's the greatest pride of which man is guilty? Well, it's found in the, in the religion of today. God cannot. God is trying. Just exercise your free will. That's so prideful. And, and they also say, well, you can come to God anytime you want. Well, if that, no one would come to God. Because none of us by nature want to come to God. We're made willing in the day of his power, beloved. Then we run to God, don't we? Heaven being granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then of course, one of the most prideful statements say, God's done all he can do. Now the rest is up to you. Oh, I, I, I despise that statement. My, that, that just puts God down here. No, let's put God way up high and we're in the dust, aren't we? We're nothing without him, beloved. We're nothing without our great God and King. Sinners are so boastful. And, and think of this. They, in, in religion that way, they basically putting God in a corner, aren't they? Saying, well, you can only do what we allow. That's so prideful. Remember what we saw? Remember who it is? Adonai Yahweh, the matchless one. That's who saved us from our sins. That's who this great deliverance spoken of in verse 17, that's who's performing that. Adonai Yahweh. Oh, men dwell in the false fortress of their prideful free will. And you know what? If they stay there, it's going to be revealed to them that's a refuge of lies. And it's going to come, come, them walls are going to come crumbling down. Oh my. Look at this. Verse 17. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. How may one ask? By divine deliverance. Our deliverance as the people of God is a divine deliverance. It's God who saved us from our sins. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. How one may ask? 
by divine preservation. It's God who keeps us. We can't keep ourselves. Oh my. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. How again, one may ask, by God's never-ending, all-sufficient grace. That's how we're delivered. Again, upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance from all trouble. How? By God's almighty power. And he has delivered us, hasn't he? Time and time and time again. He's ever with us. Remember, Adonai Yahweh brings forth the matchless power and might of God and the fact that he's ever present with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Even in our darkest times, he's with his people. Ever comforting us. Ever giving us grace and strength in time of need. And upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance from great temptations. Oh, how many temptations has God delivered us from? How many times has he delivered us from things we, things we may have even prayed for that we wanted, but would have been our destruction? Oh, he's such a great deliverer. And in this, upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance from falling away from God. Again, I love the, the persevering grace of God because I know that if he didn't keep me, I'd be, like Donnie Bell says, a gone Jesse. He's out, goodbye. That, that's what would happen to every one of us if God didn't keep us. Oh, he keeps us, doesn't he? He keeps us. It's wondrous. It's wondrous. My, oh, my. And at our death, oh, think of these wonderful words at our death. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Think of that. Think of at our death. Oh, think of the great deliverance from all our sin. Never sin again, beloved. We'll be in the presence of our king. We'll see him face to face. Oh, what a great deliverance. Oh, my. Even so, Lord, come quickly, right? Oh, my, Lord. Oh, we desire to see our king. And you think of this, too. I was thinking about this as putting this message together. Each day that passes, we are getting closer and closer to seeing our king. You wake up the next morning, you're 24 hours closer to seeing your king than you were yesterday. Isn't that wonderful? We don't think like that, do we? I just was thinking about it. just hit me. I thought, well, Lord, wow, time is so short. And we're each, each day, every step we take, we're getting closer to the Lord, going to see him when we die or when he comes back. Oh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And we're seeing face to face in that day, and we'll be totally free. Then we'll be totally free, won't we? We'll be totally free then. Totally free. Free from our sin. Oh, no more struggle. Free from our sorrows. Free from no more tears. Ah, oh, it'll be wondrous. And remember, heaven is only heaven because Christ is there. That's the only reason heaven's heaven. Because our king is there. Because we're going to see him face to face. And this deliverance, this salvation is the salvation of a remnant. Salvation of a remnant. Those who are saved by Christ are, are the despised, the rejected people of Adam's race. Listen to this. Actually, turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, if you would. And this is the description of God's people. I see myself here. Oh, it's amazing. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. God's people are a remnant. Compared to the rest of the world, those who are saved at any time in history are comparatively few compared to the number of people in that time. And look what it says here. For you see your calling. We're called by the grace of God, aren't we? Not, not of anything we do, not anything we say. By the grace and mercy of God. You see your calling. Called with an effectual call by the Holy Spirit of God. Brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now, I remember Brother Henry saying, foolish there, it just means common. God's called common people like you and I. He's not called, no, some, there's some. He calls that are wealthy, it says here. It says, not many, wise after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the, the foolish things or the common things of the world to confound the wise. They look at us and they, they wonder what happened to us. Oh my. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world. <laughs> Think of that in light of the base things of the world. Remember, when the Lord first showed you grace and showed you what you are and what I was and what I, I still, I'm a safe sinner now, what we, what we are in front of him. It put us in the dust, didn't it? It put us right in the dust, beloved. He humbled us. And he showed us. We were the base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Look at that. Isn't that wonder, wonderful words there? Hath God chosen. If you are a child of God, if you're a born-again, blood-washed saint, God chose you. He chose you. That's wondrous, isn't it? Would we ever have chosen God? We know the answer, right? None of us would have. But the scripture here declares God chose you if you're one of his people, if you're born again by his Holy Spirit. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? Why? What's the first thing man wants to do? I remember when I was in religion. I've told you many times, when I was in religion, you know, go knocking on doors and, Right? Tell people about, you know, what do the spew the thing that I had to do there. But I was so full of pride when I got home. Oh, we knocked on fifty why can't other people do this? Just so full of pride. Just now we want to tell people about Christ, don't we? We want to tell people about what Christ has done for us. When God opens that door, there's no stopping us telling people about what, what Christ has done for us, eh? But to use that, that thing as a, as a prideful thing, men like to boast. We're naturally wired to boast. We are. We're naturally wired to brag. And we're naturally wired to talk about ourselves, aren't we? We are. Now, I like asking people when I meet them, I like asking questions about it because that's how I get to know the person. And I love that. We engage. But, but oftentimes, I have to keep myself in check, too. Let the other person speak. Because, you know, we, we want to start talking, don't we? No. But we like to boast in the things that we've done. <clears throat> we do. We're na it's natural for us to do that. Natural for us. 
But look what it says here in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There is no one in heaven glorying about what they did on this earth. Now look at that. See, religion tells you you're going to get all these special crowns and you're going to be so big we couldn't fit through the door here. No. Christ is our reward. Everyone in glory has the same reward. And that's Christ. And no one, no one can brag about what we've done on this earth because we are saved by the grace of God plus nothing. Everything we do, we do in service for him and he enables us to do that. The whole world lieth in, in the wicked one. But those who are in Christ are called out assembly. And they glory in God. We don't glory in ourselves. And we're a remnant. But let these words cheer you who are the people of God. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure Adonai Yahweh's good pleasure. Jehovah, the self-existent one's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that wondrous? That's words from our master. And this is still applicable to his church today. Now, the, the fact that few in this world are saved is no cause for us to despair. If God has saved us, though we be few, we will accomplish his purpose, won't we? We will accomplish his purpose by his own right arm. So let us go forth. Let us go forth knowing that the Lord will do his will. Let's look at verse 17 again. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Well, it is through holiness that deliverance is established in Zion. We see here that holiness is the essential link in the golden chain of, of this blessedness here before us. Without holiness, there could be no deliverance. Without holiness, we would not see God. And no possessing of our possessions of our eternal inheritance unless we're made holy. But this holiness in our text is not a holiness of our making. It's not a holiness of our making. What's the, what's the fruit of the Spirit called? It's called the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's not called the fruit of our works or the fruit of our flesh. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit works that in us. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. This holiness is the promise of grace. It's the work of grace. It's God's work. And it's the result of grace. Those who believe in the sovereign Redeemer shall be saved. And their holiness shall be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're clothed in his perfect spotless righteousness. Remember our sins were imputed to him and his, his spotless righteousness is imputed to us. Isaiah 63 verses, verses 1 to 4. Note he comes from Edom where he's vanquished all the pride of men. We read about that. Look what it says. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, 
I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Oh, Christ is mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? Oh, red, blood red, beloved. In thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. I have trodden the winepress alone. And all the people, there was none with me. He did it alone, didn't he? He died on Calvary's cross all by himself. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. Now turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. Keep your finger in Obadiah because we'll be going back there. Look at this. We saw there, we saw there in Isaiah that he's adored in red apparel. Oh, look at this in Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven open, verse 11. I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth make that he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God. We know he did that alone. And he hath on his vestures and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Adonai Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent one. Who is this deliverer? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has sorted things out and punished unrighteousness. He brings Edom down and he exalts his people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is not willing that any of his chosen ones shall perish. And God delays his judgment, doesn't he? On the great prideful swell of mankind, we see the long-suffering of God active every day, don't we? We see it. And then, then when that day comes, when that last lost sheep is saved, as I said earlier, it's all over. And our Deliverer is himself the Holy One. He's the Holy One. Therefore, those who are in him are made holy. We're not holy in ourselves, are we? But in Christ, we're made holy. And our great Savior obtained deliverance for for us upon the grounds of his absolute holiness. He was without sin. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And he obtained deliverance for us upon the grounds of absolute holiness, righteousness, justice, and truth. And God's great object in our deliverance is to make us holy, to be fit for his presence. To be fit for his presence. And one day, we'll stand before him, right? Without blame. 
unspotted. Right now we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So, so when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Think of what it will be like for us when we see him face to face. Oh my. And the people of God are a holy people, being made holy by Christ. With his spotless garment on, as holy as the Holy One. The gospel is holy doctrine. The ordinance of God are holy ordinances. Believers' baptism, the Lord's Supper. Let's read verse 17 again. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. There shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And then look at this last promise. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. We have an eternal inheritance, beloved, waiting for us which we cannot tarnish. We cannot ruin. Because it's an eternal inheritance. And it says here, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. None of them. My, oh my. So take heart, little flock. Take heart, little flock. We shall soon possess all our possessions. And this is the message of Obadiah. It's a spiritual message to all the elect children of God who who have believed in and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read the last verses, 19 to 21. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, in the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. In the captivity of the host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even until Zephapiah, in the captivity of Jerusalem, which is Shepard, shall possess the cities of the south. And Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. There's only one Savior, isn't there? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Only one Savior of sinners. And in closing, I'd like us to consider and to think upon this week these three promises. There shall be deliverance, there shall be holiness, and we shall possess our possessions, which is the gift of eternal life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh my, we're made holy in Christ. He's delivered us, hasn't he? Oh, what a great deliverance. He saved us from our sins. How? By the shedding of his own precious, precious blood. Glory to our great God and King.